Hello and welcome to the Unnamed Automotive Podcast. My name is Sammy Hadjassad and with me, as always, is Benjamin Hunting. Say hi to the people, Ben. Greetings, human listeners. Greetings to everyone, especially the people who haven't heard this podcast before. And in case you're one of those folks, let me just tell you, this is a lot of fun. Ben and I are a pair of automotive journalists and we like to use this space to let all of the things that are going on in our head about the industry out into the internet. Isn't that right, Ben? Yes, where they will hopefully infest the internet and bring it to its knees once and for all. Finally, our thoughts working. Um, and, and you know what? We have uh, listener questions on here, but more often than not, we're talking about some of the new cars that we've driven lately. And Ben, I think you've got the uh, you've got the cool one this week. So why don't you tell me a little bit about your four-ringed um, monster car? Well, I, I spent about 1,000 miles behind the wheel of the 2018 Audi RS5. Ooh, Audi RS5. Formerly, um, if I remember correctly, the RS badge meant something, something Quattro. But now all, all Audi cars have Quattro, and now it means Audi Sport, right? How long ago are you referencing? <laughs> like, how, how far back did you have to go to pull that one out? It was like a year ago before they changed the Audi Sport uh, Quattro to Audi Sport. I can't verify that information. I don't think anyone can. But let's just talk about the, the, the current car. <laughs> So the existing Audi RS5 is really, really different from the previous RS5, which disappeared, what, last year, a couple of years ago? There was a bit of a gap, wasn't mm-hmm. there, Sammy, between the new and the old? Yeah, and the RS5, the, the last generation RS5, was revered for a, a couple of really good reasons. First of all, it was gorgeous. Is this car still gorgeous? It definitely attracts attention. I would say that the current RS5, like the S5 itself... It's a fairly low-key design. Um, you wouldn't, you know, normally, I mean, you'll, you'd expect crazy wings or arrow or whatever vents and all that stuff on a car at the price level and performance level of the RS5, but they really toned things down. My car even had something, uh, it was a carbon package, a carbon appearance package, and even that only translated into, like, a, a very modest uh, deck spoiler, like a little bit of a, a duck lip. Not even a duck lip, just a tiny lip. And then at the front, there was a lip for of, of carbon. The rest of it was fairly standard S5. And even with all of that, all that to say, I still got a lot of attention in the car. People were uh, either wanting to talk to me about it or giving me the thumbs up at traffic lights in other performance cars. I think the car has some cachet despite its its mature looks. Um, I actually don't know if I like this generation's um, S5 or RS5. As much as I did the last one. I think the last one looked a little bit smoother. This one has some, like, edges and creases in it as well. And uh, it looks a little, like, high-tech. You know what I mean? Well, there's a lot of differences between the cars. And, I mean, going beyond styling, there's two huge things that stood out to me when you're comparing this to its predecessor. And the first is the drivetrain. So uh, the older RS5, it came with a 4.2-liter V8 that revved to 8,250 RPM. That That's... Kind of crazy. That, is, that that's that like is amazing. Yeah, and and we are so far beyond that era <laughs> of German performance. There was a time when BMW was making a high revving V8, and mm. I mean Mercedes has always made V8s. Most of their V8s were dis- big, large displacement, not necessarily high rev. But there's a period of time where like the C63 and the M3 and the RS5 were all V8 cars, and Audi's car really stood out with this 450 horsepower, 8,000 RPM redline uh, engine. 
mm-hmm. and it came with a seven speed DCT and it did zero to 60 in like 3.9 seconds with launch control. It was a Which really amazing, even it, by today's standard is still freaking amazing. Exactly. It was a really, it was an outlier. It was an unusual car because it held on for longer, I think, than the rest of the industry's uh, V8s like in, in that segment. Um, but there's no way a car like that would exist today. We are in turbo time. This is where absolutely everything has to be turbocharged, and it has to have instant-on, ultra-low-range torque. So you're not going to see, like, a high-revving V8 anymore, um, especially not one like the Audi. It, it, the RS5, it made 450 horsepower, but only 317 pound-feet of torque. I say only. I mean, it, it, it's a good amount. But the new car is a totally different beast, Sammy. It has a 2.9 liter V6. It's turbocharged to produce 444 horsepower. And 444, which doesn't sound all that much nowadays. Well, it's actually it? a little bit less than the, the car it's replacing, but where it makes it up is in the torque department. 443 pound-feet of torque, which is like 120 more than the departing car, and it makes that at 1,900 RPM. <laughs> so, like, okay. it's there right away. <laughs> And uh, another another interesting change, one more change I wanted to point out, it's no longer a DCT. It is a torque converter 8-speed automatic. Okay, so that's an interesting point because we we were talking about the A6 and the A7 a few, a few weeks ago, I think almost a couple of months ago, and um, those as well um, were supposed to use dual-clutch transmissions, but I mean, or automatic transmissions, and instead use dual-clutch transmission, S-tronic transmissions, and yours is an eight-speed automatic, which is very weird, right? That's like kind of backwards. Usually the sporty car is supposed to have that dual clutch, and the normal car is supposed to have the, the, the automatic, and that's not the case. I think car companies are moving away from dual clutch in a lot of applications because I think torque converter designs have caught up. And I, I, you know, I could be wrong about this, but I feel like torque converter designs are also less complicated and maybe lighter than a dual clutch so those things are kind of working together to force them into more applications and i'll be honest with you i drove the rs5 in 2015 so almost exactly three years ago and uh it was in it was in may i believe and and compared to the current car i have zero complaints about the transmission it definitely shifts as quick as i remember the mm-hmm. uh, previous RS5 shifting, and definitely as quick as current DCT transmissions that I've driven from okay. Audi. So it's it's not a consolation prize at all. Uh, but the the personality of the cars are really different, and and I feel like what? Okay. Well, I mean, with, with these the power the power delivery is so different that now mm-hmm. the current car. I mean, if you use launch control, you're looking at zero to sixty in three point seven seconds. So that's 0.2 faster than the the older car. I mean, that's, you know, apples to apples. It doesn't make a huge amount of difference. If it's under four seconds, it's bleeding quick anyway. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the, the way the power comes on, I mean, off the line, if you don't use launch control, it doesn't really feel super quick. Like, it doesn't blow you away. Where it really scares you is on the highway when you accelerate from any anywhere above 60 miles an hour or even 50 miles an hour. It is a beast. It is insane, and it never stops. Like... The car, between 50 miles an hour and 130 miles an hour, it feels like there's zero um, – it's it's not breathing at all. It's just like, okay, here's everything in one big exhalation of power. And it's it's freaky because it's a big car. It weighs 3,900 pounds, and it really scoots uh, at highway speeds. Um, so this is – that sounds really – that sounds really insane. So is it hardcore or is it just really like muscly in that sense? And I mean muscly – I think it's a great, great word to use because you have a pretty muscly sedan that's not far removed from something like the the RS5. I mean, what is your 
your your Cadillac CTSV is a generation is a different generation of of luxury muscle well, it's car. Several different generations behind. I mean, it's right? No, it's an 04. But does it still maintain that kind of personality that your car had, or is this no. just the new generation of luxury there's, muscle? I don't know what to call no, it. There's no link whatsoever. Even that's even, interesting. Even when it was new, the my my generation CTSV was nothing like anything the Germans were building. It was a more raw car. It was more engaging in a lot of ways, um, which is part of the reason why I bought it. But what what I find interesting is um, the way the current RS5, I mean, moving back to the modern era, it feels much more like an Audi. It, it, whereas the older one felt like an outlier, it almost felt like a race car they put on the street. I mean, the older car didn't even have adaptive suspension. I believe it was oh. just it was just one tune for the suspension, and it was rough. Like not rough as in uncomfortable, but it bounced around on uneven pavement. It was a car that demanded you to remain engaged at all times. It wasn't necessarily gonna gonna uh, back off, you know. Uh, whereas the new car has the drive drive select system. Is that what it's called? Yep. Yeah. And that means you can choose automatic mode, you can choose dynamic mode, you can choose comfort mm -hmm. mode, and you can choose individual. And if you go to individual, you can change all sorts of things one at a time, like steering ratio. You can change – or sorry, not the ratio, but the assist, level of assist that you get. Um, you can change how rapidly it responds to the throttle inputs and, and how rapidly the transmission shifts. You can even mm -hmm. change the audio. I mean it has some fake engine noise, but it also has a – it doesn't have a dedicated exhaust button like a sport exhaust. So you have to go yeah. into and add dynamic – uh, in the individual mode to get the sport exhaust all the time. That's really uh, fun. So there's all sorts of stuff like that. Basically, okay. basically though, when it's in dynamic mode, it feels rough. It mm -hmm. feels like a car that is unforgiving. Okay. Um, and when it's in comfort mode, it doesn't feel like that at all. And I think that's important differentiation um, because when you have a car that's now 3,900 pounds and a car that is definitely expensive, it starts at 69,000. I believe mine was closer to 90,000 once you threw in all the options. Because uh, I had, I had. Wait, some there's thirty thousand dollars worth of of options. I'm not. I well, sixty nine thousand, so about twenty thousand uh, dollars on okay. the U.S. market. But stuff like carbon fiber brakes, a lot of this, these not carbon fiber brakes. I'm sorry, carbon ceramic brakes. A lot of this stuff comes in package form. You can't necessarily pick and choose. So if you want, like, if you want adaptive cruise control, you have to buy a whole bunch of other stuff too. So that adds up pretty quick. But what I'm saying is, at that price point, people don't want to be jostled around. So having this comfort mode available really makes it. It really made the car feel like almost any other Audi when you were just driving around town. Like okay. it, it, it was always quick, but it didn't feel particularly focused or intense until you went into dynamic mode. And then you notice a difference in how the car acted. That's a, I think that's a really important element in these cars that become more fo like fast cars now are unforgivingly fast. They're, they're, they're scary fast. Um, anything under four seconds can really spook you once you put your foot down and the dynamics in terms of, uh, weight transfer can also be kind of um, jarring. And I think if you have a car that feels as twitchy and aggressive as as it needs to be to handle that kind of performance on the track, you, it it's nerve-wracking. But to have something that feels comfortable and sedate and normal um, while also being able to go quickly is a pretty cool compromise. I think that that's a pretty nice blend. You know what I it's, mean? It's interesting. You know, it... I don't you know compromise is 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 a word that, that I think you used properly there but I wouldn't say the car itself is compromised by this. I think what Audi's managed to do is continue along their own path. They they're making a car that is in keeping with Audi's values as to how every Audi should drive. And mm -hmm. I don't think the RS5 was like that. I think the RS5 was a different 
uh, the pers- old RS5. Yeah, yeah, the old RS5. I think it was a different perspective when they first put pen to paper for that design. I think they were like, "Hey, how can we make this kind of crazy?" And they ended up doing it. And but it, even even all, with, when I'm saying all of this and I'm saying, "Oh, the RS5 is comfortable and the RS5 is very much like other Audis," compared to a regular S5, it is in a different league of performance. So they've that's met- really that's really cool. That's what it needs to be. That's yeah. the whole point, right? They've elevated the car without yeah. alienating the buyer or the driver, and I think that's important. And it, and it's very different than a C63. It's very different than an M3. I mean, I am neither are you. I don't think I, neither of us are fans of the current M3 from a driver mm-hmm. engagement perspective. And the RS5 is not. It's not a car that I think you would be passionate about. But it is extremely competent and extremely fast, and I would choose it over, I mean, I guess the M4 since it's a two-door. And even, you know, I drove, like I said, about 1,000 miles. A lot of that was two-lane through mountains. It was very comfortable at all times and and there was a ton of room inside too i mean not in the back seat you don't you don't want to be back there it's <laughs> you have to sit with your legs folded underneath you if you want to yeah. do that but the the trunk is huge like i hauled back a drive shaft for my datsun an alternator all sorts of stuff plus no t- like no tires no tires this time but uh i did a fuel sender and uh oh, a whole bunch of other stuff plus all the the you know random stuff i bought on vacation because that, that i had taken it on a on a week-long trip Mm-hmm. Um, and I took a bit of time for myself during that and, uh, I was surprised I fit everything. We didn't even need to put the seats down. Um, the trunk is, the trunk is the business. So this is a very real world car. It, it does everything you need it to do. If you want a coupe and you know, it's big too. A lot of people think, oh, big coupe. It has to be like Mercedes S class coupe esque, you know, like right, that right. kind of giant coupe or even a six series. Um, but I feel like this car stature wise, it looks bigger than it drives mm-hmm. it's comfortable and large inside like a large coupe but you don't feel like you're driving a full-size car it, it feels much more nimble than a six series or an s-class coupe and mm-hmm. i think that that just works in its favor it's, it's kind of like the the happy medium for if you're in that price range you must spend seventy thousand dollars but you that's don't want to spend money ben. yeah but i mean if you're looking at an s-class coupe what is that a hundred thousand yeah that's right yeah so i think it's kind of like the happy medium i i really liked it again not a passionate car but a very very good car and, okay. and what would be cool, and this is just me spitballing, why not an RS5 Sportback? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the a lot of people like do like that Sportback design, and um, based on the way you describe the dynamics of this vehicle, I think you're adding some extra perform, you're adding some extra uh, practicality um, to a vehicle with some rear seat or rear doors at least, and um, that would be a huge advantage, I think, for Audi. I think it makes sense. I can see them doing that real soon. Apparently, the A5 and S5, the whole the whole five thing, is uh, is now 10% of sales for Audi in the U.S. Hey, that's not bad. That's actually. pretty. That's pretty amazing in a market where not only sedan sales are dying, but coupe sales have never been great. Yeah, coupe sales are, have they are always they're always telling us that coupe sales are dropping significantly, and um, I don't know if that those sales numbers are improving because of the availability of a sportback design, but it makes think, a lot of sense with the RS. If an I, RS5 Sportback's on the way. Well, I think that the 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 Sportback is making a big difference because in 2017, by the end of the year, they were at a 155% increase in the cab, the coupe, and the Sportback. So the the Sportback came out like I think last year, around yeah. February or March of 2017. That seems right, yeah. So that would uh, definitely, I think that's soaking up a lot of sales and good for them. Uh, but uh, it's it's just nice to see a car company 
talking about a, a, an uptick in sales that's not related to SUVs. <laughs> I know, like no crossovers. No, but, you know, luxury cars have, are always uh, seem to be on the up as well. Um, I wanted to talk to you about a couple of different features of this um, RS5. Did you mention the Audi Sport rear, or the, sorry, the Quattro Sport rear differential here? I didn't. It, it has the torque, the torque, uh, uh, active torque management rear differential. It has the Quattro system that I think puts 80% of power to the rear. Uh, or most can send, of the time. apparently can send up to 85 to the rear wheels, which okay. is pretty un Audi like in some ways. Like a lot of people don't expect that, I, I think. Well, the car now, didn't. Mm-hmm. Sorry, go on. And now you have that option. Um, if you want a, a slightly more balanced drive feel, that can happen, right? Yeah, and it's it, it definitely didn't feel nose-heavy. I mean, that's always a complaint about Audi that, in general. That's got to be an advantage due to the V6 over a V8 too, right? Well, you, you never know because turbochargers can be heavy. Not only do you have the turbo, you have all the plumbing and the, the intercooler and all that stuff to keep it everything operating at the right temperature. So it can often be a wash when you're compared to a V8. Mm-hmm. But it is a smaller engine, 2.9 liters versus 4.2 from the V8. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, there has I, to I don't know. Weight, at least but, less weight up front. But uh, I just found that the Quattro system wasn't intrusive. I was never cursing it. I was never like, oh, this, this feels like I'm disconnected. I mean, like I said, it's not a hardcore vehicle. It's not a passionate vehicle. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I feel like the RS3 is a little more passionate because you have that, right. again, as a smaller package. But the RS5 felt faster. It felt like a more capable car. If you were on a, a long stretch of highway, I think you could easily smoke an RS3. I, I think <laughs> the top the, – the, my vehicle also came with a package, I believe, that raises the top speed limiter from 155 to like 176 miles an hour. Okay. So that's some serious speed. I mean I didn't come yeah. anywhere close to that because, you know, North America – but uh, it it definitely felt it definitely felt like it wasn't running out of room to to grow at the top end of the speedometer. And then one, I mean, you keep using this word of this phrase like it's not a passionate vehicle in this class of of luxury coupe. Like, what's the best luxury coupe? Hardcore luxury coupes. I would say that if you're looking for a really passionate vehicle, there's two options, and one isn't even a coupe. It's that Alfa Romeo that we've talked about before, the the uh, Giulia. Quadrifoglio. Ugh, I disagree. And I think the S63 AM, uh, AMG S or, or whatever it's called, SAMG, um, is also S, a... The S63 is like a no, $200,000 vehicle. The C63 AMG S or S, whatever they call it. They have like an S version of the AMG. Well, oh. it's interesting that you bring that up because I'm going to be driving that next week. Oh, the new one with the. Yeah. I think it has a nine-speed automatic now or a nine-speed transmission. So the, the revised one. I'm going to uh, Bilsterberg... A racetrack in Germany where, where I actually drove the AMG GT last year. It's a, it's a great racetrack that's uh, carved out of an old British Army base, an old NATO base. And uh, I'm very excited about that. And it's going to be fun to compare the RS5 to the C63 because I've driven the M3 and the M4 quite a bit. I haven't mm. driven, obviously haven't driven the, the new C63. I mean, no one has. So uh, it'll it'll be, I expect the car to be extremely competent. But like you're saying, I think you're right. I think it will definitely show more passion. The rear-wheel drive setup and just the general, I mean, AMG has been very good at making raucous cars, cars that, you know, hang the tail out and aren't afraid to smoke the tires, which is not something you're going to do in the RS5 at all. So it's a different right. kind of personality. That's, I think that's what you're you're looking at the difference here. Like for whatever reason, these AMGs are these like, they are like what is the word you raucous? They're 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 rioters, right? And the the Audi vehicles, these RS vehicles, seem so much more composed and normal, and they can they can fit in anonymous anonymously when you're not when you don't want to go fast, you know. And yeah. I don't I know mean, if the, norm, these normal, AMGs can nor- do that in the same way. 
normal but not tame. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's still a it's still a very capable vehicle. And I do I feel kind of bad because the M3 and the M4 get no get no love um, these days, even though they've recently um, shown off a competition package, I think, or a CS. M3 yeah, they CS. Had, it's like a lightweighted version of the car, I believe. And I've been hearing some pretty positive things about that, but I haven't had my chance yet to drive it. I wonder if that in- improves the feelings on the M3, but it needs it needs to do a lot to, it does. to improve the M3. It needs a new drivetrain. Um, the, <laughs> you no, really don't like that turbo V6. The uh, it's it, it's well, it's not a V6. I mean, sorry, in in line six. But I what I really don't like is the again the DCT that comes with that car. Mm-hmm. It's it's not good at all. It's it honestly, there's a lot of problems with it. It's not smooth. It just doesn't feel like it belongs in a car like that. And the manual car, the drivetrain is better, but you still end up with steering that's not quite as connected as you would want it to be in a car like that. Uh, and just overall the experience, the the sounds that it makes and yeah. the personality of the car, it's not really inspiring, especially compared to the M2, which feels different in a lot of ways and kind of more like it's tapped into what the M3 should be. Like the M3 and M4 should be a more a, a sharper fanged version of the m2 and it kind of comes across as the other way around right which is I a little bit you. strange that the m2 ends up being like the no frills version of the uh the m3 and m4 and that's what well, you want from the- or not not even the no fr- I, I, it's not really about frills i think it's just more about engagement like the m2 is an engaging car and it's fast and the m4 <laughs> should be an engaging car that's a lot faster. I mean, I, I feel the same about the RS3 and the RS5. The RS3 is an engaging car that's quick. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it, it, But the RS5 does feel like you're significantly upgrading over the RS3. There's a lot about it where you're like, yeah, this is this car, it, it it is in a class above. When I drive the M4 versus the M2, aside from size and I guess amenities, there's not a lot about it where I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I paid more. <laughs> I I agree with you mainly with the noise. It just does not seem like a it just does not sound like a car that makes you go, "Oh yeah, that's a performance vehicle. That's what I really paid extra for. I want that experience." Um and to me that's what really bugs me about the M3 and M4. They just do not sound brilliant. No, go, especially it, it, in comparison to the to the 4 liter V8 uh turbocharged V8 and the uh AMG vehicles. And and the numbers are all there though. I mean, if if you're looking at it on paper, the M3 and the M4 are very competitive vehicles, and they're they're if you take them to a racetrack, they're going to do what you want them to do. But it's just how they get about going to where you want them to go. It's very different from their competitors. But I want to stop ragging on BMW because I'm actually going to talk to you about a, a BMW that's been very successful, and this is the X1, which is their small crossover, um, and this is one of the best selling subcompact luxury crossovers. And I I mean, that sounds pretty surprising until you take a look at the competition. I think uh, the GLA, the Mercedes-Benz GLA class and Infiniti QX30 are two cars that are lacking in terms of luxury appeal. Um, the Lexus NX is sometimes a little bit too big and also has a bizarre grill. And the Audi Q3 is really boring and can sometimes just feel like a Volkswagen Golf at times. So yeah, the I did, I'm, not a, I'm not a fan of the Q3 either. Um, wait, what were the first two vehicles you mentioned, though, that you were saying that they, did, they didn't feel sporty? Could you run that by me again? Not sporty. They just don't feel luxurious. And that's the Mercedes-Benz GLA and the Infiniti QX30, mm-hmm. which are the same yeah. car. Yeah, I see what you're saying. 
Um, and they had they were they were lacking a very nice interior design. They were lacking some of the nice materials that can be found in them. But the X1 has always succeeded in this class, and I, I think for a number of reasons, it's a very grown up and, and pretty finished choice. But sometimes it never quite feels like a BMW, and I think that that may, there's a reason for that. It actually uses the uh, platform borrowed from the Mini lineup of vehicles, specifically the Mini Countryman. Okay, wait, wait. Does does it borrow the platform from Mini, or was it developed by BMW to be shared by these vehicles? Well, I mean, they're develop BMW and Mini are the same are, are under the same umbrella, so I imagine they're they're either designed to be shared from the get go, or they it borrows it. Either way, the Countryman, I believe, came first with that okay. Okay. front wheel drive platform, um, and. What's funny is that the Countryman was actually pretty enjoyable to drive. Well, we talked about it on the previous podcast, right, where I had right. the, uh, the John Cooper Works version, which I guess would be similar to the X1 in terms of performance. Uh, yeah, very close. And can, it, what I mean to say is that the 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 Countryman is, can be really fun to drive, and it has a lot of quirkiness inside of it. But the BMW has none of that fun. Um, all of the interior um, amenities are very like. It's very boring, you know. It's like this wood trim. It's like this static, like black leather. It's all this stuff that we've seen in cars, um, and it just doesn't feel like anything special. I think that's what a luxury car is supposed to do. It's supposed to feel like something that you paid extra for. And I think sometimes you would feel a little bit more happier in in a, in a mini countryman. Nonetheless, a lot of people are buying this X1, and I was wondering if there is a true alternative to the X1, so I compared it to a brand new vehicle in that class, and that's the Volvo XC40. And you've driven this car before. Yes, I drove it back in December. I think we, when we talked about it on the podcast then, um, I was in Barcelona, Spain, and I, I really liked it. I liked a lot of things about that vehicle. And, and I, I, think, I think you're going to like a lot of the same things I did. Okay, you know what? I'll I'll come straight out and say that the XC40 is fantastic. It really is good. There are only a few problems with it, and uh, they're problems that you've prob- that our listeners have heard about in the past when we've done but, 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 uh, when we've but talked why, about Volvo vehicles. Why start with the problems? But I will. No, no. Let's start with the good stuff. First of all, it looks great. Not only does it look like. Let's talk about the X1. The X1. If you parked it in the back end of a parking lot. You would mistake it for an X3. You could mistake it for an X5. You can mistake it for almost anything. And if you told your friends, that's what I rolled up with, it rolled up in. And then they'd think, oh, cool, you got a pretty high-end BMW until you got up close to it and realized you got the really cheap uh, X1. Yeah, I've I've realized (laughs) that I can't tell any of the Xs apart anymore. Yeah. From a distance, they're all very similar looking. The X5 is a really big vehicle, and I find the only way I can reliably tell it's an X5 from a distance is if it's an X5M because the, the tires and everything are so much yeah. larger, and it just seems more extroverted. But you're right. like It is a it is a very homogenous design language that's been used on the Xs, except the for the X- X6, of course. But, but the um, XC40 is so unique looking um, from every angle, even the front, the rear, the side profile. Everything about this vehicle looks so fresh and unique it can look cute while still looking kind of like rugged and tough I don't yeah know and, and the, in this the case proportions are nice in this case unique isn't code for ugly like it's not it's, yeah, yeah. it's actually an interesting it, it, it's a good looking vehicle inside and out i might add i mean to, to to speak to your problem about the x1 being rather plain inside the xc40 hmm. is very well done uh let, let me go i'll talk about the interior in just a quick second but our, our xc40 rode on like 
20s or 21s, and it looked wild. It looked so good, Ben. I couldn't get enough of it. It also had a very flashy light blue paint finish, and some of the, the vehicles that you can get come with a two-tone roof, which or two-tone vehicle where it has a white or black roof. This yeah. is the kind of stuff that you people want in a luxury vehicle. They want something that makes them feel like they bought something unique, bespoke, special, and Volvo is doing it with the most affordable vehicle that they sell. And, and you know, Volvo has to – I mean when you think luxury, you don't really think Volvo. So like that's a big part of all of this effort they're making is to get people to change their the conversation when they're talking about what crossover to buy in that class. It's it's not automatic that you'd think, oh, I, I want a small crossover. I'm going to buy a Volvo. First of all, because they've never had one before. But second of all, because they're not really in that first tier of luxury yet. They're they're kind of still – like in the minds of most buyers, I think – if they they're think in that premium segment, which is well, even, just a, a tier below luxury, right? Well, if they if they even think premium at all, I mean, it, Volvo has such an image of of being, you know, no, northern New England, Scandinavia, safety oriented, and they're really trying to to push that away with the designs that they're coming out with. And the XC40 is a great way of doing that. I, I, I do. Are people thinking, you know, when they buy an Acura, they're like, oh, should I go to a Volvo dealership, or when I buy a Buick, should I go to a Volvo <laughs> dealership? It's it's that's I think the baby steps to get them to people who are buying a BMW for the badge and are thinking, oh, maybe I'll buy a Volvo for the badge. You know, like it's a long road to get to that. I think that honestly, you we, you said this a long time ago. You said back in the day, uh, Volvo's shtick was safety. And now it's the, because every car is very safe um, or very many cars are very safe. They can't rely on that anymore. And they're using design to really push their, their brand forward. And the, the XC40 is a great example of that. This is the most affordable vehicle that they make. And it's also arguably one of the prettiest ones they make. Yes, um, bar, bar none. Inside, it's a little bit different. Um, I wouldn't call its interior like class leading, but it is extremely different than what you find in the in the BMW. As I mentioned, the BMW that we had was uh, with all you know dark leather. It also didn't use like actual leather. It used that BMW like Sensitech or however you want to describe it. It's not quite real leather. And it Say feels- Sensitech again. Sensitech. It yeah. feels really artificial and not nice. And the BM, the Volvo didn't have that feeling. Um, and it also had a very minimalist design, very clean and unique looking. But what I like most about this uh, XC40 is that there was space for a lot of stuff. And it's true. Very they really practical. Went- yeah, they found cubbies in areas to etch out little holes to hold whatever you've got. Be it there's even weird. There's wall. weird stuff too, like in that center console. Did your did your car have the the weird like garbage can with the flip lid? Yeah, it had this flip lid with a removable bin. Now you can use it for a garbage can. Um, my colleague Jody Lai at Auto Guide said that she'd just fill it in with candies and just like reach in there and grab like a little like like treat bin she would yeah, just see, grab something in there that's way better because i mean <laughs> otherwise it's gonna get nasty in and there smell, so yeah yeah i mean it is removable though and easily removable and that means um, you can clean it too yeah but who does that i mean who has time to to live right <laughs> yeah. almost nobody i'll also add that the rest of the interior i'm going to say from um a visual point of view the way that the uh i believe the infotainment system is called census Senses. Uh, and and Sensatech and BMW? Yes. I smell a lawsuit. <laughs> that infotainment system, if you were to look at the entire lineup of, of Volvos, be it from the ultra expensive XC90, which can go into the into the 100,000 range if you get a T8 um, inscription or something like that, 
you would look at that infotainment system and it would be the exact same look as the one that's found in the XC40. This is not the case with BMW. If you looked at the 7 Series or, sorry, the X5, the fully loaded X5, you would see a very different interior setup than you would in the X1. It looks like a far more, um, like a lesser BMW. It feels cheap as a result. And, and part of that, too, is Volvo doesn't necessarily have the parts bin that's deep enough to have multiple infotainment systems. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's working to their advantage here, or at least to the advantage of the customer. And same thing with the digital dash of the of the Volvo. It's very crisp, easy to use, beautiful, and it looks like something that's plucked right out of a far more uh, premium or expensive vehicle. Volvo killed it with this kind of stuff. Um, in addition to the switches found throughout the car, they're very nice looking switch gear. They're very familiar to anyone that's been in one of the more expensive vehicles. What I'm trying to say is you do not get punished getting in the XC40 um, in the same way that you do with a with a BMW X1, which feels oh. removed from the family of BMWs. Now, what about practicality and driving? Like back to back, do they feel significantly different? And can you put as much stuff and is it as comfortable in the X1 as it would be in the XC40? The X1 has one killer feature. It has a ton of space. It has, you know what, I had the number, but I just closed my document. It has um, much more cargo space, total cargo space than the, than the Volvo. And a lot of that has to do with a very unique um, under tray storage area in the rear trunk, which I think is pretty impressive. You can, you can fit a ton of stuff in this, in this BMW. However, driving the vehicle is pretty good. Uh, I don't want to call it bad, actually. It's, it's responsive. It's, it's pretty quick. It has a 228 horsepower and 248 pound-feet of torque uh, turbocharged four-cylinder engine. So that's the same as, as what you find in the John Cooper Works Countryman. Yeah, um, and it can, it can feel pretty sprightly. I have an issue a little bit with um, the suspension, which feels very stiff, and I think that has a lot to do with some of the run-flat tires that BMW chooses to put on their uh, on the entire range of their vehicle. And sometimes these tires can feel so stiff that they they really jar the ride. They make you feel uncomfortable in some really rugged or rough conditions. And uh, I think a crossover shouldn't feel that, um, and the the ride shouldn't be that invasive, especially a luxury crossover. No, definitely not. Um, one advantage to the BMW, though, the drivetrain, is that it had paddle shifters, and they worked very nicely. I say this because the XC40 does not have paddle shifters, and if you wanted to select gears yourself, you have to nudge the gear selector, which is a tiny little, um, it's a little, I don't know how to call it, it looks like a geological um, formation. It looks like a little Geological lock. formation? Like it, what? Like like the interior was swept for thousands of years yeah, by the wind? Yes. The it, wind and the forces of erosion have created this Volvo XC40 interior? That's a good advertising no, no, the, campaign. It's just the shifter, which is this little nub, this little rock thing that you, you move forward or backwards. Um, but when you're in drive, you want to put it in a, in a manual mode. You have to tilt this thing left or right. Um, and it also does not act very, um, very quickly in the well, same way that the BMW has. Of I'm course, gonna, I'm okay with that because yeah. it's not a sporty vehicle, and, and no one in no one in this segment cares about that. It's this extremely limited use case scenario. But that shifter also is annoying. We talked about this with the S90 yes. because you yes. have to push it twice in any direction in order for you to make a change in direction. So when you go from park to drive, you have to push it. You have to pull it back. First to go into neutral, and then first, and then again to go into drive. And if you want to put it in reverse, you have to do the opposite. You push it up 
to go into neutral first and then up again to go into reverse. Which and is... There's no reason for this. It is it is manifestly unsafe compared to how a normal transmission logic works because, I mean, this this is what happened to me. I'd want to back into traffic and I'd put it in reverse and think I was in reverse and I'd hit the gas and nothing would happen. And then you miss your gap, right? Yeah. So maybe you put it in reverse and then you, you shoot in the traffic quickly because you're upset and you're not paying attention as much. It's, it's just there's no reason for it is the weird thing. It's it, 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 Everything worked fine before this shift logic became volvo's new thing so that little geologic formation just it needs to catch up to the rest of evolution i think well on the other hand although that that transmission that like that shifter is a bit of an issue the way the volvo feels especially in terms of of handling is very good it does not feel rough like the bmw it feels like a luxury car and that's despite the fact that our tester had 21 inch wheels that would have usually led to a very uh stiff vehicle and i didn't feel that in the in the xc40 so kudos to volvo for nailing the suspension on this compact crossover yeah and and kudos to volvo for not thinking that just because it's small people want it to be sporty i think people just want a vehicle that's comfortable and luxurious and i don't think that people who are buying small crossovers care how well they handle I mean, as long as you're not going to, you know, die in a corner, <laughs> it's no, but I mean, honestly, who buys like an X1 and, and takes it to autocross? Nobody yeah, does no that. And, 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 and that's doubly, if not quadruply true for any Volvo product. <laughs> so, I mean, let it go. So and th thank you, Volvo, for letting it go. Yeah. And I have to say, I'm really impressed with this vehicle. I totally understand why people would get an X1. It is um, very spacious. And it's it's fairly fun to drive, but this Volvo has everything that the BMW can do aside from those those two elements. It's much more comfortable. It's a tiny bit less spacious. It's more affordable. It has more power, that 248 horsepower and 250 pound-feet of torque. It's slightly more fuel efficient. I love the way it looks. I would buy one of these if I was in that class. I really enjoyed this vehicle. It's it's the it's the one to get, and I really so if you, wonder if you were going to trade in your BRZ, it would be for this Volvo. Uh, if I needed to pick something like from that class, that would be the that would be the case. That's for sure. What's the pricing like on it though? Did you mention that? Yeah, you can get it pretty affordably at around thirty, I think thirty three thousand US. What about the R design with the crazy wheels and the funky top? Those ones, the most expensive version, I think goes for about forty uh, forty seven. I will say. Ooh, so that's a lot. That's U.S., right? That's yeah, a lot that's, of money. That's a lot US of money. Market. But the BMW, a fully loaded BMW with some M uh, goodies, will even crest the 50000 mark, which is pretty crazy, too. So it's good for its class. It's not necessarily a bargain, but it's uh, it's definitely competitive. I think it's competitive. I think all of its, uh, its competitors are the same way in terms of pricing. Um, I loved it. I'm telling anybody if they're if they're looking in this class, if they're thinking of getting a GLA or an X1 um, or a or an Audi Q3, skip all of those. Skip the visit to all of those dealerships and go straight to your Volvo. I think that is the true winner of this class. It fits so many people's needs and it's so modern that it's got to be the the number one choice. Now, Sammy, is there anything else that you wanted to mention this week that that's been kicking around inside your mind? You know what? There is something that we got to talk about. Um, by the, the 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 time me and you are recording this podcast, it's actually the same time as the Goodwood Festival of Speed, which is pretty cool. It's about a bunch of really fast and funky cars going up a driveway, uh, a bit of a hill climb, um, and showing off. And sometimes 
a lot of automakers use this opportunity to show off their newest cars or something that they're working on. In fact, the new Toyota Supra actually made its world debut up this hill, which I think is pretty cool, but it's not enough to really mention what's going on with it. Yeah, what? it was a totally camouflaged car, right? Yeah. That I think went up the hill and uh, yeah, it's you know, I'm looking at it now and it's still not nearly as visually as exciting as I'd hope it would be. So I'm hoping that the details when when the camouflage comes off, I'm hoping that that changes my mind. But anyway, you were saying. But something a little bit more interesting is a 1965 Ford Mustang that was built with Sim, uh, Simons, is that the right, right word to I think it's it's Siemens. Siemens and Cranfield University. Uh, it's a self-driving Mustang, which has a bunch of sensors and an algorithm, as well as a GPS input to help it self-drive up this um, hill climb. And did you see what happened here? I did see what happened. So they, I, it, for those who aren't familiar with the hill climb, it's it's a it's a course that is rigidly defined. It is just a straight shot. Okay, it's not a straight shot. There's curves and stuff, and it goes up a hill. But it's not like a you don't have to do laps. It's like you start at A and you end at B. There are hay bales on most both sides of the road for most of it. There's a few open areas and there's one area that has a, a stone wall. Mm-hmm. Um, you just have to get from A to B. That's all you have to do. There's no one else on the track. So this Mustang is out there, and it's driving straight and everything's cool, and then it just pulls a hard right directly into a hay bale like bam for no reason it doesn't make any sense uh i'm really confused as to how this happened it's also weird is that like it appears to put on the brakes while it's doing it because it slams into the hay bale uh pulls away from the hay bale but only one of the brake lights comes on so i don't know if that's a feature (laughs) but uh what what really blows my mind about this is i'm gonna go back to what i just said where you're just going from a to b (laughs) so uh (laughs) if you were to just Take a GPS system and draw on that system a, a line for the car to follow. It could follow that line and not need any sensors, really, yeah. <laughs> and get to the end. And yet somehow this car was like, no, hard right here for no reason. So it's very it's very weird to me that, I mean, Siemens is, is the real deal. They're an engineering company uh, that has a global reputation for excellence. And I don't get why... If you're going to bring a product to showcase as something as high profile as Goodwood, why it would not be finished? <laughs> like, yeah. why it would do this? Like, is there a magnet hidden inside that hay bale? A or, very or strong magnet to pull a 1965 Ford Mustang over full of, like, it's an, is it an electric Mustang? It might be. I, I don't even know. But maybe it's, like, is the FF, FAA right? And if you use your cell phone, like, near certain types of GPS systems, it can ruin them. Like, so yeah. instead of this, in this case, you're not taking off on a commercial aircraft, but someone was standing beside that hay bale checking their Facebook, and it just scrambled everything. And, like, the, the Mustang's like, I must come to you, and just slammed over to the right. Anyway, it's an amusing image. Um, autonomous cars don't oh, need God. I just don't need crap like this. this. Situation. Ben. <laughs> Okay, first of all, it's not an electric it's not an electric Mustang. It still has the V8. But here's what happened. The team has developed a precise, they call it, precise 3D scan of the hill using location scanning technology from Bentley Systems for a connected awareness of the car's own position. What do you think happened? I'm thinking that right now there are many sponsors that are calling to have their name removed from Bentley Systems, Siemens. They're like, could you just not mention us in any of this press coverage? This is the most difficult thing to talk about because 
there was an Audi that just did like nonstop laps, um, a, a self-driving Audi that did nonstop laps around a racetrack. You remember this story? Yeah, it was beating human drivers, <laughs> and it did fine. It it managed to do a um, a a, you know, it didn't it didn't crash. And we we also are very much looking forward to something like Robo Race, where cars are supposed to not crash. Or I don't. Well, know. maybe maybe you're looking forward to Robo Race. I'm I'm indifferent to Robo Race, but I mean we are taking Schadenfreude in in this you know incident. That's true. But uh, it, it just it's just weird. It's it's like we're supposed to be past this point in autonomous cars. And and if you're going to do a stunt like taking a classic car and making it autonomous, you got to get it right because yeah. people are just going to be all over you if you don't, like we are right now. <laughs> because we are horrible people. Yeah. <laughs> we are standing in the way of progress. Uh, and is there anything else that we were going to talk about? I can't remember if there's uh, another car that you wanted to mention. Um or not? No, not not no? off the top of my head. Uh, what, next week, Sammy, I believe you have an interesting comparison for us to discuss. It's not quite a comparison. It's you know what I have my my I had my hands on two coupes, um, the two very different variations of coupes. One is a uh, BRZ TS, which is the tuned by STI, which is a very track ready version of the Subaru BRZ, and the other one is a two is another two door, but it also has no roof. It's the Mus- the Mustang convertible EcoBoost. And um, so it's not a coupe at all. It's a convertible. Exactly. Can we just clear that up? All right. Uh, it's a two door. It's <laughs> it's a two door convertible, right? Yes. Okay. And um, just two different options for for buyers out there who want something really um, you know sporty, and it depends on what kind, Ooh. what element of sportiness they're they're going for. So I can't wait well, to talk to you about this because it's a very it's it's a very trigger happy podcast because it's going to be it's definitely going to get the enthusiasts all riled up and in one way or another all right well and if you want to catch up on other podcasts that we've done in the past that might rile you up too uh you can do that at unnamedautomotivepodcast.com or you can go to itunes or google play or spotify all these fun places that have our podcast waiting for you to discover it if you want to get in touch with us sammy what's the best way to do that i recommend um reaching out to me on twitter you can find me at sammy underscore ha you can find ben on instagram at hunt uh what is it hunting benjamin yeah, it is. It's only like, what, two years we've been doing this podcast? Yeah, I forgot. And uh, you can also email me, Benjamin, at BenjaminHunting.com. You can find us on Facebook. We have a little page there where we update things on a regular basis. So if you have any questions, if you have anything you'd like us to talk about, or if you have just you know a point of view that you want to talk about on the podcast, feel free to reach out. Next week, in addition to Sammy's comparison, we're going to be talking about some reader mail that we got recent reader mail, some listener mail <laughs> that we got recently, and we'll have fun talking about that. Absolutely. So until then, thank you very much for listening. Bye.